Welcome to the Table Dallas podcast. At the Table Dallas, we create a sacred space to worship, connecting our stories with the story of God as revealed in scriptures. We invite you now to listen to this week's discussion. All right, our text again is 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin reading at verse 3. You can follow along as I read. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. On account of his vast mercy, he has given us new birth. You have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have a pure and enduring inheritance that cannot perish, an inheritance that is presently kept safe for you in heaven. Through his faithfulness, you are guarded by God's power so that you can receive the salvation he is ready to reveal in the last time. Let's pause there and open with a word of prayer, if you don't mind, and then we'll dive into the text. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word, for the opportunity to gather together as this Jesus family called the table, as we dig into this new series from 1 Peter, and we look at our new future, we've been given because of the resurrection. Would you open our hearts and our minds to what your Holy Spirit has for us? May she become our teacher in this time together through Christ. Amen. Alrighty, so we're going to dive in together. So feel free to go ahead and unmute yourself if you'd like to. Um, Just remember that uh, we're all part of a group here. So if you end up with some background noise that you need to, uh, to deal with, you can always mute yourself again, but it'll make it easier for you to participate if you uh, don't have to keep reaching back and forth to mute or unmute. So Paul begins this letter with praise to God, and he lists for us in the first uh, verses three, four, and five, four gifts that we've received because of the resurrection. Take a look at that passage. Can you see, pick out what are those four gifts that we have received because of the resurrection? Somebody pick one. Hope. New birth. So we've been given a new birth. That's verse three. Inheritance. Do we have this inheritance? Of- verse three. He gave us hope. Yeah, so we have this living hope, resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse five. Kept safe. Yeah, if we are guarded or we are kept safe by God's power so that we can receive salvation. He says all of this is because of the resurrection. So I know this is going to sound like a kind of a wild question, and maybe it's too big for us to kind of dive into, but think about it for a moment. Why is the resurrection of all of the parts of Jesus's life and ministry? Why is the resurrection such an indispensable part of the Christian faith? Why is the resurrection such an um, indispensable part of Christian faith? Because everybody dies. Every leader dies. Every religious figure dies. But only Jesus was risen. All right. Good one. Others? If death has power over us, then no matter what good things we may be working on, it's, it doesn't matter. So it defeats that power of death in our lives. Excellent. Good. Yeah. Others? But he dies and he comes back in through us in the Holy Spirit. So his resurrection makes it possible for the Holy Spirit to live within within us, God's Spirit to live within us. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. One, another. He's fulfilling the uh, prophecies in the Old Testament by his resurrection. So he shows that he is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the scriptures. So he's demonstrating his Messiahship, the fact that he is indeed the Son of God sent to Pay for the sins of the world. Others? Why the resurrection is such an Christian faith? Because he lives, we too. Say that again. 
because he lived, he too can live. So we have eternal life because of the resurrection. Right. So because of his resurrection, you will one raised from excellent. It proves our hope that he talks about. Say again, Peter. It proves the, the basis of our hope that he talks about in the letter. Yeah, exactly. In verse three, if you can look at that, it says most of our translations, and if you're reading the CE, it says um, that we have a, he calls it living hope. So first of all, let's remember, how is hope defined in scripture? How is hope? What was your question, David? You cut out again. How is hope described in scripture, defined or described in scripture? We have to remind ourselves, how is hope defined or described in scripture? Hope is having faith in something that you cannot see, something that hasn't happened yet. Okay. Good. Others? Peter describes it as living, which, which implies to me that it, it changes. It, it goes up and it goes down just naturally with being a human being. Okay. Others about how hope is described in scripture? We're still dancing around the biblical concept of hope. It's more than just wishful thinking, right? Some of you are shaking your head. Okay, so what is it? Biblical hope is something more than just wishful thinking. It is faith in something that we can't see, but it's more than that, though, isn't it? To guarantee the way I always heard it. It's a promise from God. All right, it's a promise from God. It's a guarantee. I like that word. It's, it has a sense of certainty to it. And that's what we mean to make sure that we understand that in this definition that Peter's going to be building on here for the next several weeks. This definition of hope is this expectation or this uh, anticipation of something that is certain. Hence the term he calls that living hope. So how does our hope, that definition, that expectation, that anticipation of something certain, how does our hope differ from hope that's found in other faiths or hope that's found in our culture? How is our hope different? We hope that things will be better after the coronavirus, but we don't have any certainty. We have no idea what will happen. We just hope it. In fact, you all identify that, right? We're not very certain about this. Maybe five out of 10, maybe six out of 10, two out of 10. What I, I think our Christian hope gives us a sense of certainty. Um, like Chris was saying, we don't know what's gonna happen after the coronavirus, but the Christian hope, we, have a certainty about what's going to happen after we leave leave this earth whereas other religions may not have that same hope they may always have that uncertainty of well did i live my life just right did i do enough good things did i follow the rules good enough okay good how else is our living this hope that we have differing how does it differ from the hope found in other faiths or hope in our culture? I think verse four says it beautifully that our, our hope in Christ is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kind of like what everybody else is saying. Everything else in this world will fade, whereas this is the only hope that will not. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Any other ways? He uses that term living hope. Does that help us narrow down why our hope is different from the hope of this world or hope of other religious, uh, other religions or other religious traditions? What's he identifying there? I think he's identifying that, you know, Christ did rise from the dead and no other religion can make that claim. 
um, that that Christ has followed through on what he said he would do, and that he did die and did rise again, and that you can have hope in everything else that he said as a result because of that proof. That's good, yeah. Other ideas on how that living hope, that land hope, that's a different, it's not used anywhere else in scripture. Well, it's also that our, our hope is literally a living hope because our hope is Christ and he's living. So our, our living hope is an actual person. And that's, that's exactly it. Exactly what Peter is making sure that we zero in that our hope is in, in uh, circumstances. It's not in what we see happening around us, whether it's good or it's, or it's challenging, which we're going to get to in a minute. Our hope is in person. And in this case, the resurrected Jesus, who is the Messiah, the one sent to pay for the sins of the world, the only one ever raised from the dead, who promises then also to come back and restore everything back to the way he had designed. That's why our hope is a living hope in a person, not in something or some set of circumstances. How does having that kind of hope change things for us or... It, or how should it, maybe is a better way to say it, how should it cause us to live differently? Dun, 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 dun. We have a living hope. How should it us to live differently? We don't have to have a doom and gloom view of life. Okay. So we can approach even the problems in our life with a sense of positiveness and an opportunity. Okay. Good. I think God created us to be relational creatures. And so the fact that our hope is a living person fits with how we were made to be. We were made to have hope in relationship with the person. And the gospel gives us that opportunity. True. Excellent. Yeah. So is hope, or hope more difficult in good times or challenging times? And why? Is hope more difficult and or challenging? On one hand, in good times, we think everything's going great and don't need any uh, God help. And uh, so we may start to depend on our own uh, skills and whatnot instead of God's help, hope in God. Okay, good. Others? I think challenging times reveal what we actually have hope in. Ooh, yeah. The difficult times will reveal. We all, we all put our hope in something, right? We all people. people. The question is, what are we putting our hope in? And you're identifying, as Peter did, right, that that hope is in a person. Other thoughts on is it more difficult in challenging times or positive times? Which one and why? It might be more difficult for those that are non-believers. I, I, it's hard for me to put myself, myself in the shoes of someone who believes there is no hope, there is no Christ, there is no God. And what we what we see is all there is. I can imagine. I would think that it that hope would be very difficult for that for that person. Yeah, certainly. But for us, specifically for us who are followers of Jesus, the, the people that Peter is writing followers, do you think it's more difficult in the good times or in the challenging times? Why? I think during challenging times, uh, we don't really think about how God can help us. I think we think about how like, we can help ourselves to get us to the good times. Right. Kind of forget about like, how you know, praying to God or you know, having hope in you know, that living person can help us get to better time or help us get through the bad time yeah well said david yeah and he he tells us to call 
upon him in day of trouble and he will deliver us and then we should we will glorify him yeah beautiful beautiful and now notice that uh that peter uh because of the resurrection peter says we're not only blessed with this living hope but um as catherine identified also with an inheritance verse four an inheritance what is an inheritance? let's start there is it inheritance and then we'll describe how about how peter describes it what's an inheritance anybody any lawyers amongst us a legal term you don't have to be a lawyer you can just take a stab at it What's well, an inheritance is, is what one receives, generally, what one receives from parents. Okay, so it's property, goods, received from family members. Well, let's just broaden it to family. It's typically family. It doesn't have to be family, but typically it's family, right? And when does that inheritance generally take place? When they die. Yeah, so something that is, it's, I guess, in legal terms, irrevocable, that's a keyword, an irrevocable gift that is typically received after family members, which is kind of interesting. In Jewish custom, the inheritance was definitely linked to family bloodlines. But in Greek and Roman law, which is where Peter's uh, elected, are living these people who are following Jesus who are living in under Greek and Roman law Greek and Roman law provided inheritance through the adoption of an heir in other words if you didn't have children of your own you could adopt an heir and then you that inheritance down through adoption and that's the language that the scripture uses of us right we have been adopted into God's family so how does Peter then describe this inheritance? It is what? Three words. It's pure and enduring. enduring. And cannot perish. Yes, imperishable. Good. So why do you think Peter particularly is that this inheritance is those things? Pure, enduring imperishable considering now the context of who he's writing to the situation they find themselves in why do you think he stresses that this inheritance is pure enduring and imperishable well, typically things that are passed down are money and things and this is not a money or a thing it cannot go away excellent yeah and they were facing the uh, the seizure of their property oftentimes as persecution they're losing um the financial pieces and potentially the inheritance they received and so he's he's contrasting that okay good well well done other ideas why he stresses this inheritance being pure enduring and perishable something that is gifted to you it's not it's not all right say it one more time Stephen something it, it is something that is gifted to you it's not something that is earned oh that's great yeah you don't have yes it's gifted it's not an earned thing right good other idea i would think if they were being persecuted that they're the things that they have could be taken away from them very easily that uh that nothing was really uh they didn't have any security uh, but these things, they could be secure and they couldn't be taken away from them. Yeah, exactly. He says that in verse four, right? He stresses our inheritance is kept safe in heaven for us. So if it's kept safe in heaven for us, what is our inheritance? What is the inheritance that he is speaking about? What is our inheritance according to the text we've just read? What is it? Our salvation. It's our salvation, sure. What else? Specifically. Specifically heaven. So it's, it's our salvation. 
that is found in the resurrected Jesus Christ, who is now seated on the right hand of God the Father. Imagery here is be careful that, yes, it's salvation. That is the, the result of that resurrection. But his promise is that our inheritance is literally Jesus. And what's interesting about that is that Scripture says we are also an inheritance, that God receives an inheritance, or God gives, better said, God gives an inheritance to himself. In Ephesians 1, 11 through 12, that we have, he speaks about, we have obtained, we have received this inheritance. And it's God speaking in the active tense. So he's saying that God, Israel, was God's inheritance in the same way that the prophets pictured that Jesus one day all of the church, they are going to, and ultimately all of the nations are going to be his inheritance. So whenever the scripture is speaking of inheritance as it relates to a person, it's this, like, like, um, like Saji said earlier, it's this relational piece. We are God's inheritance and Jesus is our inheritance, salvation that comes through here. Uh, <clears throat> death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf, and that is kept safe for us. Verse 5, he says in verse 5 that they are, through his faithfulness, his being Jesus, you are guarded by God's power so that you can receive that salvation. In other words, our inheritance, our hope found in Jesus, who is now seated at the right of God the Father that he is one day ready to receive is, of course, we know the restoration of all things. So even though we believers have this blessing in Christ, he goes on to describe the fact that sometimes we will experience great difficulties in life. So I'm going to pick up in First uh, Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 6 through 9, and here's what I want you to listen for, okay, as I read. I want you to listen for the contrasting metaphor Peter uses to picture what happens in trials. So you're listening for a metaphor, and it to be a contrasting metaphor that Peter uses to picture what happens in the midst of trials. All right, verses six through nine. You now rejoice in this hope, even if it's necessary for you to be distressed for a short time by various trials. This is necessary so that your faith may be found genuine. Your faith is more valuable than gold, which will be destroyed even though it is itself tested by fire. Your genuine faith will result in praise and glory and honor for you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you've never seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you trust him. And so rejoice with a glorious joy that is too much for words. You are receiving the goal of your faith, your salvation. So what is the contrasting metaphor? What is the picture that Peter uses to describe what happens to those of us who follow Jesus, this living hope, during our trials? What's the metaphor and what's the image? What's he conveying? Unlike uh, gold, which can be destroyed by fire, um, our salvation cannot be destroyed. Our, our inheritance of God's, um, what he's given to us through Jesus' faithfulness cannot be destroyed. That's absolutely right. Why can it not be destroyed? Based on what we've just read in the previous verses, why is it can't be destroyed? It says it's eternal. And it's eternal because it's formed and it's based on a living hope. It's in a person. It's not in circumstances. It's not in the trials, right? It is in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's a beautiful um, illustration for us, right? But Peter encourages that we can rejoice in this hope, that's verse 6, and be filled with a rejoicing that is too much for words. That's what he said in verse 8. So my question is, what does it mean to rejoice? What does it mean to 
rejoice. Celebrate. Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Oh no, we don't want to start that round going, do we? Mm -hmm. Celebrate. All right, celebrate, good. I think it just means to find joy. Okay, and how is joy different than happiness? Um, well, it's not necessarily based upon your emotions. It's a conscious choice. Okay, good. It's not, it's not based on circumstances or your emotions, right? Good. Any other ideas? First Thessalonians 5 or 6, Paul says, rejoice always. 259 times in the Testament, we're commanded to rejoice. Any other ideas? Is the Greek word for rejoice connected to gratitude or thankfulness in some way? Well, it's interesting. Good question. Um, so in Greek, the word is um, kairit. Kairit comes from the word kairo, which has a root char, which means to be um, favorably disposed or leaning towards. So it has its roots in car. My daughter's name is Karis. That's also from that same word, which means grace. So really, when he's using that language of rejoice, it is a favorable disposition or leaning toward. The difference is, it's not toward our problems, it's not toward our pain, it's not toward our circumstances. He's not saying, yay, you should look favorably toward and lean into being a victim of your problems, your pain, or your circumstances. If that's the case, we would never problems challenging circumstances would never lead us to rejoice. We would never lean in those. But since it's connected to the word grace, Mike, literally to um, favorably opposed leaning to God's grace. So we rejoice. To rejoice is to experience God's grace, his favor, and to be consciously uh, I guess we would use the word glad or lean into that grace. So we can rejoice in any situation because we're not rejoicing in our circumstances. We're rejoicing in the grace that God has given us and will give us in the midst of that. We don't rejoice because of what we're enduring. We rejoice in spite of what we're enduring. In other words, it goes back to what Catherine said earlier. It's a choice to rejoice. It's a choice to lean into that. But let's ask ourselves, is it really possible or, I shouldn't say that, it has to be possible to rejoice in the midst of challenging situations, otherwise we wouldn't be commanded to do it, right? What makes rejoicing in all circumstances, both good and trials, so difficult? Why is it hard to lean into that? I think one, one thing that makes it difficult is that we focus on ourselves. And uh, one thing Paula was saying the other day is we have to remember to look up. It's good. And I think our human eyes are really short-sighted. So looking, looking into a, a good outcome or a good future, difficult for us on earth. Okay. Why else? Why is it difficult? It's really easy to confuse feelings with fact. Hmm. Yeah, so when we look around and we see the circumstances or we looked at the facts being put up on the screen every day about what's happening here and then looking at, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's true. Even really focusing in, that's true. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's true. 
But notice that Peter says that trials are necessary, just like the process of birth, that trials are necessary in order for be found that we're genuine. So when gold is put through the, the fire, it casts out all of the impurity and you get whatever, you know, level of pure gold that you get, you pay more purity. He says, can, you, can you say that again? Cutting in and out. I think there's some echoes going on with other people who are unmuted. All right, so. Everybody mute and then unmute to talk maybe. We can do that, let's try that. You can use your space bar to unmute. I mute myself. As I, <laughs> I need a cough button. Space bar. Good. Uh, Peter says that trials are necessary in order for our faith to be found genuine. Necessary. So my question to you is, how does that make you feel and why? Oh, David and his feeling questions. How does that make you feel to realize, to be told that trials are necessary in order for your faith to be found genuine? Well, it's a refining fire, you know, it helps get rid of the impurities that may be within us that all, so that all is left is that faith and and why would we like that at all <laughs> true Other? yeah i don't i don't like it at all <laughs> it's because it means i'm gonna go have to go through a lot of junk true yeah i'm hearing that it shouldn't surprise us right johannes I think that when you're in the midst of a trial, your true character comes through and it gives it gives light to those things that you may need to work on to get better at. Because if it's always good, then you never grow. And through trials, it gives you an opportunity to grow closer to Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Others want to share about how it makes you feel and why? I was just going to say to these hearers, um, that Peter was talking to that was probably very, very encouraging. Now to most Americans, um, before you're really going through a lot of trouble, you don't want to hear that at all. It's a totally different feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Relationship between areas I feel like you almost need the contrast uh, between bitter and sweet and good and evil and like how are you going to know the difference without the contrast? True. Somebody else was trying to say something no did I miss it I was gonna say um he says my power shows up best in weak people and I think that's that's true um I mean I've I found that a lot and that came prevalent to me when I was going through cancer mm. that he showed up in me when I was when I was weak. Yeah, well said. So what's the danger of trying to avoid or minimize trials and hard things in our lives? What's the implied danger? A stagnant life. Stagnant life, Holly? And we um, lose the opportunity to be refined and improved and um, develop a stronger faith if everything is just handed to us. Like when uh, a rich um, family gives their children everything, they inherit everything. They don't have to go through any trials. Mom and dad just um, save them from any kind of adversity uh, with their money and influence then those kids usually grow up to be spoiled rotten and not have very fine character and basically be pretty unhappy and spoiled brats all of their adult life. So um, we should be happy that God doesn't want us to be spoiled brats. Yeah, Mike. Verse seven says that it's necessary so that our faith may be found genuine. Right. And the question that comes to my mind is found genuine by whom? God and or those around us? Ah, good question. Let's throw it out there. 
I think it's it's both found genuine with God and with others around you because I think um, some people may have the posture of if I'm if I have a great faith then nothing goes wrong, and so that the minute that something goes wrong that somehow I lost faith, and I think that it gives you an opportunity to show people yes. You can be a Christian and you can have faith. You, that doesn't mean you're not going to go through things, but that you have hope and you have a security that you're going to come out on the other side. Yeah, well said. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else? Is it? I don't think you can avoid trials. I think our human instinct is to either scapegoat or to trust. And so if we're not going to trust Christ, then we're going to scapegoat someone. Mm. Same way that Jesus was scapegoated and crucified. Um, it's, it's just, I, I just think it's who we are. So let me ask it this way, and you don't, you can be the first to answer, Saji, but you could be somebody else too. Does our faith always grow when we suffer? And if why <laughs> the difference? Does our faith always grow when we suffer? I mean, I can think of many times where I've a number of times where I've gone through trials and I've had bad attitude about it, and you've had to very gently remind me about what my hope is in. Little old me? Yeah. That's what you get paid to do, right? <laughs> yeah, Mike. So I would say I would say that my response is, you know, my response isn't always good. And I think it's why we it's one of the things we have to rely on each other for is to gently remind each other what our hope is in. Yeah, Which I would say was always good, but it's not. Go ahead, Mike. I would say that our faith does not necessarily grow through trials and suffering. I think what will determine if it grows is what we're doing during those trials. Are we looking for God during those trials? Are we looking for his, his working in, during this trial through others around us? True. Yeah. yeah. I, I would argue that we don't always grow immediately, but if we don't learn from our trials, those trials are probably going to repeat themselves until we do learn from them. That's true, Holly. So just like these uh, Christians that uh, Peter was writing to, we need to be reminded that uh, trials are not because God hates us, <laughs> they are because um, they can produce something good in our lives, and and we just we need to know that. That's why it's uh, survived the test of time, and it's in the in the Bible today. Johannes, you have a hand raised. Did you? Yeah, I think it gives you the opportunity opportunity to understand the difference between joy and happiness, and knowing that happiness may fade, but joy is something that endures all the time. Great. Well said, because notice that Peter at the very end, I think it's verse eight. Let me look here, Dodge over here. Yeah. Um, he says that uh, even in the midst of these trials, if we have the right attitude, I think that's how I would sum up what you guys were talking about. It has to do with your attitude going through it. If my job is, my goal is get out of it as fast as I can so that I can get rid of the pain, um, then, you know, we're not going to learn the same lessons we would if we were patient through it. But he says, that we can, through all of this, rejoice with a glorious joy. That's that word again. Joy, same root word from rejoice, right? That is too much for words. Some translations say rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. I actually like the way that the CEB translated it because if you hear rejoice with joy inexpressible, you almost get a sense of that the kind of joy Peter is describing is beyond our ability to comprehend. And I don't think that's true. We can comprehend it because most of us have experienced the growth that comes through it. The challenge with is oftentimes it's hard to verbalize that to other people. It, it can't always be expressed in words or as my friend Landrum likes to say, 
Uh, words, all we have is words, but words often fail us when we go to try to describe what was that like? How is it possible that you had joy in the midst of that? To be able to put that into words sometimes is, I think, what Peter is getting at here. Sometimes it's beyond our ability to say words. It's just a, a sense, a comfort. Um, it's an emotional reaction that's beyond the reach of our reason, our cognitive ability to then articulate that. And he says then that the result of all of this trials and tribulations, verse 9, that we receive the goal of your faith, your salvation. We become more and more like our living hope, Jesus Christ. So as we kind of wrap up our time, the passage was written, that Peter writes, was written to Hebrew Christians who are, as he describes earlier in the chapter, verses 1 and 2, they are living in exile. Remember, they're out of their homeland, just like Israel. He makes that picture several times. So do you think Peter's words would have been comforting to his audience? If so, why? If not, why not? Would his words have been comforting? And if so, how so? Uh, hopefully it changes the, his audience's focus from the present to the future okay. and that their hope is stored in a place that is secure and so even though they're enduring great hardships at the moment, if they focus towards that future and, and like Courtney told me a little earlier, not navel gaze, mm -hmm. um, it, it changes their perspective. Yeah, true. Others, would Peter's word have been comforting to his audience? So why? Johannes? I think it's comforting and discomforting. I think it's discomforting because no one wants to hear that they're going to go through trials. Who likes that? Right. But I think it's comforting in knowing, yes, you're going to go through it. Yes, you're going to make it out. There's a living hope. So it's not, and oh, by the way, you have this gift that you don't ever have to give back. You don't have to work for it, anything. And if you can just hold on through all that, you'll make it on the other side. Yeah, well said. I like that. Yeah, that that's good, Mike. Uh, not to be argumentative, but I don't think it always means that hope that we have that, that Peter's talking about. I don't think it means we're going to get through something. Someone who makes the mistake of driving drunk and kills someone and goes to prison for 20 years or maybe the rest of their life, man, they're still in that circumstance of being in prison, but the hope that they have is in completely something in something completely different, not necessarily getting out of jail or, or bringing that person back to life that they killed. Yeah, that's a good distinction because remember, he's writing to people who are um, in this situation out of no fault of their own. So there is a differentiation between trials and tribulations that we bring onto ourselves through uh, rebellion and acts of sin and so forth. And the, specifically what Peter's talking about here in the early parts of the, of the book about your elect exiles. You're, you're in exile, not of your own choosing or not necessarily because of anything that you've done. So in the midst of that, yeah, he's saying, I think it's a both and. I think you said it great, Janice, that it's, it can be troubling, it can be reassuring, but on the other hand, who wants to hear that, oh, by the way, this isn't gonna end anytime soon. And you might have to keep going through this for a while. I mean, that's just like, yay, thanks, Barnabas. Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. So I was saying that kind of like tongue in cheek. Thanks, Barnabas. So last question then. So how do they offer comfort to us today in the middle of our own exile of sorts? Now, granted, I'm not trying to make a direct parallel to the exile that we're experiencing and the challenges now to what they were doing. Although in some senses you could, I mean, what we're facing is life-threatening in some situations for for those who have gone through it and lost loved ones and the, the fear and all of that, it's true. We're living in exile. So how do they offer comfort to us today in the midst of our exile, our own exile of sorts? Would you repeat your question one more time, please? How do these words offer comfort to us today in the midst of our own exile of sorts? 
I think we have a choice whether we do actually take comfort in them or not. I think we have to make that deliberate choice to take comfort in that. Okay, good. Um, it, it could help me hope not in a scientist or a cure or a person staying six feet away from me or a president or a legislature doing the right thing. Um, my hope, my hope is in Jesus. And um, I think that focus could help me not be so stressed and worried and gloomy about the future. Yeah, well said. God's got this kind of thing. Yeah. Others? I was going to say something similar. Just kind of offers us an alternative agenda. Something alternative to put our hope in other than the medical experts slash politicians slash, you know, whatever. Good. Johannes? I think that, um, I think the biggest thing that stands out for me is it says it's for a short time and not our definition of short time, but what Christ's definition of short time is. And then knowing that this is a refining fire for us to do something greater. God's preparing us for something. And so while we're going through this trial, instead of focusing on the trial to focus in on and really hone in, what is God preparing you for? Ah, uh, that's, uh, yeah, well said, well said, good. Any other final thoughts on encouragement, how they offer comfort and encouragement to us in the midst of this exile of sorts of our own? Um, to me, this kind of says that it's, it's to be expected. We shouldn't be um, caught by surprise, I guess, that the suffering is happening and that like, I mean, we were kind of told that, hey, this is gonna happen. You know, don't worry about it you've got hope, you've got, you know, God's got it. Yeah, I like that. If you remember a few, it was a couple of months ago when we talked about uh, uh, all of creation is angry. We came out of Noah with the, when he made that um, in Genesis chapter seven, when he made that covenant with Noah again, talking about that all of creation is angry, you know, the storms that are going through in, in, in Tennessee, um, some of you know that uh, the area that was hit by that tornado was literally on the same road from the church that I came here from, my first church in the EPC, Rainer Presbyterian Church, in exactly on the same road that the year I left, a tornado came through and wiped out that same area. For whatever reason, that track is like zoom in, right? And so um, I know as of today, there were 30 families in my former church that are in some way affected, whether a good number of them lost everything in the midst of that. And then they're talking about storms coming through again today, the whole angry earth piece, right? But the comfort of knowing that um, God ultimately has a plan that includes the restoration of all things. And one of the ways that we remind ourselves of that is through being obedient to Christ's command to remember his sacrifice on his behalf. And in this case, we do so also remembering that not only his death, but his burial and resurrection on our behalf. And we do so through these simple elements, the bread, which represents his body. And I can see some of you running up to get it. That's good. Um, if you didn't have it with you, I'll give you a second. But this bread that represents his body that was given um, on behalf of all of us and the juice, which represents his blood, the covenant um, making blood of Christ. And he says, first, we receive in humility with the words, the body of Christ given for us. We take that bread and we dip it in a juice to the words, the, the blood of Christ shed for us. And once we have received that, if we have someone next to us, we would then turn and offer to them with those same words, the body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. So this here is the body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Amen. Well, Sherry, can I um, ask you to reach over and unmute yourself and um, close our communion time with a word of prayer before we uh, just highlight a few things for the coming week? Dear Lord, I thank you that uh, we do have the hope in you and that you will never fail us or forsake us. And um, all the 
uh, hard times that we feel like that we are going through, you are right here beside us and speaking to your Holy Spirit to help us, Lord. Uh, we give you praise and glory for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, just a couple of things as a, for you. Um, first, uh, those of you who came in, I will say quasi on time, you probably noticed that the opening was a bit different. Did you all notice that the opening was a bit different? So you can anticipate that moving forward. I'm going to try to work in some worship music. That was a Zach Williams piece about the empty tomb that I just was listening on repeat this week for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but uh, you can expect that when you come in. So if you come in, if you would, just kind of mute and you'll see that screen and then that'll be the opening. And think of that like as the opening video from the old days when we were up at, uh, up at the theater and then we can kind of jump in together and go from there. That's number one. Second thing is, um, on Tuesday night, we have our men's hangout, all the details um, about the little short piece that you need to read. And I really encourage you to read it. It only takes about four, maybe five minutes um, for the guys hangout on Tuesday night at seven. Details are in Church Flair. Uh, ladies, Wednesday, you guys are still going, right? Shake your, somebody shake your head at me. Yep, I see that going. And on Thursday night, our Thursday evening study table, we had a great one this past Thursday, the first one. If you didn't get a chance to join us for that, it's like kind of like a, a midweek Bible study connection time um, from seven to eight on Thursday evening. And you, some of you I know have other things happening where you might be able to, might have to dive in for a few minutes and then dive back out and that's fine. Just come on and join us on Thursday evening. If you miss out on any of those uh, Sunday gatherings or the Thursday night study table, um, they're up on our podcast. They get up pretty quickly. So everything is up to date on our podcast. So um, if you need to do that, make sure that you get a chance to grab those and listen to it at um, your leisure. Ties and offerings, if you have any questions about electronic ways to do things or anything else, uh, please just send me an email or text me. I can walk you through um, the multiple ways of giving. By now, I think almost everybody has contacted me who was needing help with that. But if you do need some help with that, please uh, let us know and we will... Um, we will, uh, I'll connect back with you and we can, uh, we can work through the many different options that are available to us. All right. Anything else that we miss? Any other announcements I missed? Anything anybody needs to say? Anybody got a need that uh, you want to share with us that we can maybe collectively try to meet? Anybody have anything they want to share? Oh, it's good to see so many of you out this morning. Good. Is that it? Good. All right. So how about if you join me, you, you can all stay muted, but um, I'm going to do the words of the grace and you can kind of follow along. Yeah, I like that. Just hold out your hand like that. It's almost like you're connecting with the Brady Bunch person next to you. <laughs> oh, maybe we should technically should be doing elbows, right? <laughs> all right. The words of the grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this day and until we meet again. All right, everyone. It was great to see you today. Thanks for joining in. You did great in the study. We'll see you again Tuesday night or Wednesday night or Thursday night. And if not, we'll see you again next Sunday. Bye for now. Be safe. Love you all. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Table Dallas podcast. We invite you to join the conversation at one of our upcoming tables. To learn more about us, please check out our website at thetabledallas.com. We are saving a seat for you at the table.